I was hiking with a group of friends, well, a coworker and his friends. Um, so we all knew each other through this person. And one of the other people of the group asked me, oh, what's your ethnicity? I responded, Vietnamese. And then we got into a discussion of, did you know Vietnamese people came over by boat? How did your parents come over here? It made me think, how does one begin to learn one's parents' history? When did I first realize my parents' history? I recognize I didn't learn it from my parents all at once, but rather piecemeal. A story here, a story there. And I hope one day all four of us will piece, be able to piece it all together. But for now, we're just going to have a conversation of what we do know. This is chapter three. Wen Nguyen, Meta Nguyen. Welcome to Growing Up Nguyen, a story of four siblings holding on to our identity while fulfilling our parents' dreams. I'm Hung. I'm Karen Hunt. I'm Hedda Hugh. And I'm Ben Huang. These are the blessings and challenges of growing up Nguyen in America. I think Ong Wai is the person that I know least about out of our grandparents. I think about there's this one time he came over for dinner at our house and it was just me, my aunt, and Ong Wai. And for some reason, by the time he got here, my aunt had left. And so I was setting up the table and I called her because by then it was like 15 minutes, 20 minutes that she had been gone. And I was like, where is she? When is she coming back? And she was like, probably not coming home for another hour or two. And first off, I was like, why would you do this to me? (laughs) Why hast thou forsaken me? (laughs) I was like, I guess this is a good time to get to know my grandfather better. (laughs) You guess? (laughs) And so I asked him what it was like growing up in Vietnam. And he was like, we were really poor back then. And things weren't good. <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, what, did, what did you do? What, what else did you do in Vietnam? And he was like, not good times. Not good times. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> uh, what was it like being in the Navy? I remember my aunt had told me that he'd been in the Navy. He was like, yeah, we went on boats and stuff. really really put me hanging me out on a string here bro (laughs) um but he eventually did tell me that he was able to bring home food and um rations of food from time to time and money home to bangwai and man the family when he had short breaks from the navy and i know at a later point in time he eventually left vietnam by boat with three four of the half of the kids to the u.s <laughs> it was a little bit less than half here because there's seven kids and the three kids okay. <laughs> that he went with it was go koi go Kwai, and yuhin i think a part of why i remember that is because i know they don't speak vietnamese as well as the rest of the sibling though go Kwai does speak it a little bit better i think that's just because he's a little bit older um but anyways even though Ong Wai was working. You're talking about him being in the Navy. Anyone know what Ong Wai was up to? I think we only really realized how impactful she had been in her village when Huang and I visited Vietnam again back in 2012. We 
went to where she had lived and they told me about when she had passed, when the entire town found out, they all went to church to go pray for her. Do you remember that church, Ryan? Yeah. It was not a very big church, but... It was small. Yeah. <laughs> they set up chairs and things outside in, in order to have additional pews. And even then, people were sitting on the ground just on a mat or something like that to pray for her. And I remember going to a house where they showed me the attic where she would hide people from the Viet Cong who were coming around looking for people. She was really well respected and admired because she genuinely cared for her people. And something I learned from my mom during that trip was that when the town the town didn't have clean water, so Bang Wai was the one who invested in getting a hose to get clean water for everyone. Well, yeah, I didn't really hear that start of the part of the story uh, before. Um, so my memories of Bang Wai actually just growing up with her, she was always investing time in the slow activities, I would say, like cooking. Not the Rachel Ray 30-minute meals, but pho. Mm. And she would go to the grocery store to pick out the freshest um, of the best and bring it home and do that kitchen magic she does to make it a meal for our entire family at the end of the day. And she wasn't just caring about people. She was caring about the birds. Do people know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so she would um buy day old bread and dry this bread out on the roof of our garage or we, her garage where you get the best sun huh? <laughs> <laughs> indeed and she would dry out this bread and sun dry it until it was absolutely hard and we'd take <laughs> that bread with us to go to lake Merritt to feed the birds honestly that was one of my favorite activities. I loved going to Lake Mare with her and feeding the birds. Like, this is not appropriate now. I'll be telling people we did this. But I loved doing that. It was a great time with my grandma. And I think about now and how useless. <laughs> we put bread out to dry for the birds. But I think it shows that she cared a lot and it was fun for us kids and that's just how how she was she did it because she cared about everything from what we put in our mouths the activities that we could participate in mm -hmm. she and i want to point out that we spent a lot of time with her as a kids because i think all of us all four of us did mm -hmm. went to like merit with bungwai at some point in our lives is that mm -hmm. is that yeah. true for your childhoods oh. back then it was still covered in duck poop as well <laughs> I think it was geese. geese that hasn't changed but the reason we spent so much time with Bungwai or Bungwai was our guardian is that man, I was busy working at her tailoring shop when she came well, how she got here was through sponsorship so Aung, as we were describing Bungwai came here with three kids first actually I need to talk about that because when he came here they had to stop in I believe Malaysia and there was they were staying at an encampment of some sort and I think one kid got went missing. Maybe it was Gotwang. And he left. Oh, maybe there was four kids that went with Aung Wai. Mm. Now that I think about it. I can't remember. Okay. Well, somebody got lost. And two kids had to. So he trusted two kids. Okay. One kid got lost. Some kid got with <laughs> Bakta. And Bakta was, you know, going to continue on with the journey. And then Aung would meet with them later. She ended up in the United States. Aung was still, you know, 
locating this missing child of his. And Bakta, in the time of waiting, almost put up the kids for adoption. This is mm-hmm. like her, you know, second cousin's kids removed, whatever. This is family. She's going to put them up for adoption. Fortunately, oh my, this is where the mystery comes in. Reconnected, found them, got the kids back and settled in his life. Ooh. And, you know, the important part is that he settled here and was able to sponsor Bung Wai and the rest of the family over to the United States. Um, yeah, and uh, Bung Wai and Mea and Go Young and Go Bin. Where, yeah. where those are the, I think I guess the, we don't know what Go Wang was the first or the second group. Yeah. <laughs> well, the second group of people, they were sponsored over by Ong Wai and as part of their journey, they had to go first to Thailand, Thailand, and they had to stay there for a week in, I guess, some sort of camp. Same, yeah. Um, and well, one interesting fact about it is that they had to pledge allegiance to Thailand, and they were oh. really strict, or like to the flag, and they were really strict about it. Oh, it would hit you if you weren't out there. <laughs> I did not know that part. Yeah, I'm. And it was morning and night. I remember it was like. 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. at night or something. Yeah, they had like specific times and I guess punishments too then. But um, after the week was up, they, uh, Mong Wai and Maya and the two other two children got on a plane and they went to SF. And Maya, they were in Vietnam. There weren't any like videos or any kind of media that was out. I think she saw a picture of San Francisco in a book. In a textbook, and she always dreamed of going there to see the city and the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. Oh, the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and well, now this was her chance to go see it. She was going on a plane, all going to San Francisco, basically, and she would be able to see the Golden Gate Bridge. But she got so sick on the plane. This was her first time on the plane, and she was so sick. She did not like it at all. And she promised. And she made a promise to herself that she would never get on a plane again because she did not enjoy the ride. But she made it to San Francisco and she saw the Golden Gate Bridge. And now she lives in Oakland across the bay from San Francisco. <laughs> I always joke with her. How many times have you actually seen the bridge since you've lived here? <laughs> <laughs> You know, but the other part, you know, it just, I get emotional, like, thinking about this. I mean, even though there's, like, the details are blurred, but maybe that's why the details are blurred, because it's so, it's such an emotional journey to think about how Onoi came here. Onoi, sorry. And our uncles and aunts being separated. And there's, they're only one, six, seven, a family of nine, of a million people fleeing the country. Yet we ended up here. It's just, how did the circumstances put us here? How did the alignment work? I don't know. It's, we can really recognize how lucky we are mm-hmm. to be where we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember having that realization also when I was part of the Spanish club at UC Davis. President? President of the Spanish club? <laughs> <laughs> yes, when I was president of the Spanish club at UC Davis. And one of my practicing professor partners, who I told that my parents had fled the Vietnam War, had this reaction. And he said that 
you know, I mean, you know, when you say war, you know that war is not a good thing, and there are a lot of crappy things that come out of of as as a result of war, as we can tell also from my conversation with my grandpa. <laughs> and yet, this is the first time I told him that my parents came over because of the war, and he was like, "Wow, your life would not be the same if they did not come over here." And me, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> But it was the first time someone was recognizing it besides myself, how supremely different our lives would have been and how difficult the navigation of our parents through the entire coming to the U.S. from Vietnam to build a life for four kids and for them to end up going to universities. Like how incredible that journey actually is. And that that's what really makes me think about Bo, too. Yeah, he... He left Vietnam through the means of, you know, pursuing an education. He was 19 when Banoi said, you're going off to school outside of the country. Well, let, let's backtrack because there is a little bit of history there. <laughs> well, first of all, Om Noi is a diplomat or was a diplomat. And well, that's the word I heard from Tukoi. Cannot confirm if this is true. But since he was on the inside... Quote, quote, quote. <laughs> he was able to hear news about the Vietnam War and the Cong San or Viet Cong. I guess those are inter- used interchangeably um, that were approaching. In Cong San would re- refer to like communism and Viet Cong would be the, the, the folks. Is that right? Yeah. In Cong San would re- refer to like communism and Viet Cong would be the, the, the folks. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, they would be like the supporters of communism. Get called VC. <laughs> yeah, he wrote letters about it when he was in the United States against it. He he was very against it. I mean, he did send also bull out of the country. Yeah, yeah. pretty much all of his kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, with his information, Omnoi came back to the family and Banoi and Omnoi decided to send bull to Germany so that he could escape the war. Mm-hmm. And just, I want to also mention that it was, like you said, it was Onoi Banoi together because Banoi, even though she was, you know, you would say that she's the stay at home mom with the nine kids, she was a savvy businesswoman. She was maintaining a merchant. She was being a merchant, turning the downstairs into a little shop while the kids and the whole family lived upstairs. And she was making connections with people. Um, and it's because of this, her her quickness, her business acumen that able, was able to put together what the information that Ong Noi knew and have the resources to get Bo out outside of Vietnam to not be a soldier in the war so that he could, you know, have a different opportunity. A chance at life, really. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it seems easy to say like, oh, she just became a merchant and she sold things. But I always remember towards the end of her life, she had Alzheimer's disease and so she would repeat a lot of the same stories over and over. And there are a lot of people like she didn't recognize some of her like grandchildren and things like that from time to time. But the person that she always remembered was her husband, Ong Noi. And she always she would tell this story over and over that she would have to take an hour long walk all the way to jail because our grandfather was jailed for his beliefs 
and she would bring him food every day for lunch, walk there for an hour, and then walk all the way back home, and then, you know, still have her shop that she's running, still feeding all of the kids and things like that. So it really wasn't an easy time for anybody. But I mean, that that's just who she was. She That business acumen, that savviness, she got over to Jeremy, even with all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's really, like, really powerful and shows how strong she is. And also, I guess, continuing the story with Bol is that he went to university to study and he had to get accustomed to German life. Big shout out and thanks to the Winkler family in. Gross Granau. <laughs> I hope I pronounced that right. And they that the Winkler family really helped him get used to German customs, the language, the food. Additionally, he also studied mechanical engineering in Frankfurt. Yeah. So he did that after, you know, getting accustomed to a lot of that German culture. Uh, and I think about that a lot because I've been curious about what was German life starting really young. I remember writing or helping to write letters to Karen. I remember tracing the, the words that Will wrote and, you know, asking a little bit, oh, why do you write this? Why do you write that? Later on, I also wrote letters to my first grade teacher. So it turns out she's also spoke um, German. Will would write letters to Mrs. Melander and I would trace it. I don't exactly know what I was writing. But <laughs> 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 I like to think that maybe I wrote something and he translated it. I can't, I can't remember at this time, but if Ms. Melander, you're out there and you have copies of this letter, I, I would be very curious to know what, what I was writing in German. We'd all be very curious. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I would say it was the, very, the first time that I got exposure to be multilingual. I was already speaking Vietnamese. I was learning English in school. And here I was, my dad's giving me exposure to German. I did wonder why he didn't teach me to speak German, but that came a little bit later when I decided to study German in college. I was going for the easy A. Um, it was a harder, put a lot of effort into A. Let me just say that. <laughs> German is a hard language. I could understand why my dad didn't, well, didn't really teach me um, how to speak it. You, the, the, the words are hard, the construct, sentence structure. So I can't even imagine him going to Germany without a dictionary or without Google Translate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think t- to really emphasize that is that like, um, you went on your trip to Germany. I was solo. On a scholarship. A solo. He was, uh, he also took, he was also been on an international trip to Mexico. Um, and I've had a couple of trips internationally. <laughs> a well, couple of trips. <laughs> Not to flex, but. No. Han also had some, Han had also had a solo trip, right? Um, when? Colorado. Oh, that's like in the state. Oregon. People were speaking the same language as I was. It's okay. different. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you said there was culture shock, though. (laughs) (laughs) But to emphasize is that we all had like preparation going into it. We like either studied the language or we were new. We like we knew we were going to go there and what to expect. But Bo went to this like, I guess, not knowing anything at all. Mm -hmm. He just went there. He did not know the language, did not, I guess, don't didn't even know that what he was going to study or what university he was going to get into. Do not have dictionary, like you said. No Google Translate, y'all. He was out there, like, mm-hmm. without without being prepped at all. And that's got to be hard. Man, like, and as you're describing it, it's like, he was alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. That must have been tough. 
Um, and I see that's why the Winkler family was so important to him. They were a family away from home. And, the you know, I think about a lot how Karen was teaching me when I was there. You know, I had a baseline and she was helping me get a better understanding of the language, but also the culture. We were, when we were eating food, she explained the German customs, like how to, you know, where you place your hands, where, how you set up the table. She was giving me history along with the language. We didn't really do this in Vietnamese culture, but I, I think we can parallel that a lot with how we learn um, our history in school or English language. We read books and we discuss it. So it's like you're practicing your English, but you're also, you know, being a critical thinker at the same time. And that's how Karen approached approached um, teaching German to me and I'm sure to Bo too. So I really see how Karen gave this baseline for his growth. Yeah, I think the thing that always made that struck me was I can see the parallels like um, Huang venturing out solo to visit Karen um, and then Bo visiting Karen as well. It felt like um, it, it was like two uh, two different timelines that were happening at the same time because they were both like on their own solo path and they were um, they had met up with this like same person in history um, and they had like uh, I could imagine her teaching you showing her uh, sh her showing you and teaching you and the same way that she was showing and teaching Bo like many of these stories many many of these foods many of these customs and that felt like such such a rich rich memory to me if we don't ever get to interview Karen, I think I understand why Bo named you Karen. <laughs> if anyone gets to meet the Karen Winkler, um, I think we have a bit of her soul right here. <laughs> it, it, and, you know, just like as you're speaking of it, it just is exactly how I feel like Karen would, like views the world and views relationships with people. Um, just the way things are interwoven so masterfully. Mm -hmm. Good job, Karen. <laughs> Karen Han. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I know that, so, later on, Bo left Germany to reunite with his family in Texas. There's an, I mean, this goes part with that, like, part where we're still piecing together history. I don't know how we got each other's addresses because there wasn't a FaceTime or Google Hangout meets or you paid a fortune to just make an international phone call. Mm. I'm not sure they had phone calls back then. <laughs> I'm sure they had phone calls. Okay. <laughs> well, I just don't know how good they were. Plus, it probably cost a lot of money. Let's we even it. got each other's addresses to send mail. Yeah, we don't. How did they even connect? I don't know how they connected. <laughs> yeah. But Mole made it to Texas. Right <laughs> with family. Go Longhorns. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. He he. Well, decided to study again, and he went to University of Texas Austin Longhorns. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I know he had studied mechanical engineering in Germany, but when he came here, he, he switched his. He we would have. I think he would have wanted to pursue a higher degree in mechanical engineering, but because of the language barrier, he went with um, German studying German literature. Man, our dad is smart. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Um, yeah, he he had told me a part of this story. There's a test you have to pass. It's called the the TOEFL. The TOEFL. It's oh. a like an English proficiency exam for higher education or like the university system. 
great that's it yeah that's perfect that's it <laughs> so in the university system he actually didn't pass this the first time and so he had to retake it um and this was the main thing that actually stopped him from pursuing higher education because he had to learn the english language first that on its own was hard enough so he majored in german literature instead mm-hmm. and you know it was fine he was he learned english while working um the side jobs while he was um his side hustles i mean i guess if you want to call his side hustle you know being a cashier at burger king or being a janitor (laughs) (laughs) but maybe doing those jobs is that why he doesn't like cleaning at home (laughs) i don't know he was pretty excited when we got that vacuum he used it immediately he was very excited but then he had to charge it (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think that's still part of the mystery. They were in Texas and being with his brothers there, they later reunited the entire family in Seattle. And Bowles, one of nine siblings, Mm -hmm. all relocated to Seattle. Mm -hmm. How the heck did they do that? Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's another mystery. You know, as we're talking about this, and I know where some of us have heard these stories, some of us haven't. It's like we, we we have these tidbits. It just reminds me of the time I was volunteering at Alta Bates when I thought I wanted to be in the medical field. <laughs> it was a, it was not exciting times. <laughs> but at the at the ta- at the t- the volunteer or registration desk, so we were doing the welcoming table registration table was another Vietnamese lady, and we would, we had the same shift. She was already working, and she wanted to go back to school to become a nurse. Fast forward, she did not do that, but that's another story. We, we were just talking a little bit about our history. And she wants to know what, how did my parents come here? And as I told her that, you know, what I told her was, you know, what I knew. Oh, my dad went to Germany. And then he studied mechanical engineering, came to the United States, got another degree, reunited with his family, and they moved to Seattle. She's like, oh, what year? What? I was like, even as you guys realize, as we're telling the stories, we have not put a timestamp on this because I think. It's just not clear to us all the times, the dates and the years. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, I mean, I, I think, does it matter? But at the same time, it is. It does matter. Like, how did all this, how did the timelines meet, meet up? And our grandparents really put us in favorable circumstances. And how do you just move from Austin to Seattle? <laughs> yeah, I honestly don't know how they relocated. Those are, I don't know back then, but I think right now they're like pretty big cities too. Yeah. Um, did ever did Bo ever tell you that he like as a family they opened up a pho shop? Is that can someone verify that? What? I'm gonna say I think I heard it here first. <laughs> oh really? No, I heard I heard that. That's true. No one liked it. It was hard, and, <laughs> then, and nobody wanted to work in the restaurant anymore. So that was that. Okay, and that is why the family, all the guys in the family, became engineers. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that Bo living in Germany for most of his life was a little bit disconnected from his brothers and sisters, not because of like, like not like they were distant, but just because there was like a certain part of his life experience that is just so different from the rest of them. And, and I don't know if that continued or cause he later moved to Oakland. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, man, I like met her wish. She didn't want to go on a plane again. Both both came to her. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Oh, I just want to add in real quick that 
what what we mentioned, Mo is part of one of nine siblings. Mea is part of one of seven siblings. So I just remember doing a family tree for freshman year in high school. And um, I had a hard time fitting all those names on the paper. I don't know about y'all. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what poster boards are for. Oh, oh <laughs> my bad. But seriously, it's, it's like so, like we have so many aunts and uncles and like cousins, also potential cousins that we might not know we have. Like we don't know. And I just, I had such a hard time remembering all the names and like who's who. I think the distance between Oakland and Seattle definitely made it harder for me to remember things for Bowl's side. Mm-hmm. Does anyone know how Bowl Man met? Um, do you want to tell the story, Hugh? I... Uh, you mean like how she had three suitors? <laughs> yeah, I heard what? that story too. I, I only heard about it because I had to interview her from a in high school class assignment thing. And so I asked her how she met Bo and what the relationship was like and what dating is like and things like that. And she told me that essentially she had three suitors. One was drank too much. He pretty much was an alcoholic. The second one done by, which is pretty much gambling, gambled too much. And the third one was kind of lazy and but the lazy person was the best out of the three and that just happened to be our dad (laughs) (laughs) and i was like oh okay (laughs) how did she find out he was lazy i think that came when they first met right yes yes and there was a matchmaker right that um connected our dad to our mom Mm -hmm. and uh Prior to meeting, they had a phone call and she uh, he asked her, it's like, oh, do you need anything? And she's like, oh, yeah, bring me a pair of uh, tailoring scissors. And these mm-hmm. I, I remember these tailoring scissors to be pretty special because they had to cut through like thicker fabric and also needed to be like left hand because our mother is left handed, um, which I think might be a rarity at that time or a little hard to find anyways. Um, and he was like, OK. And he came down, didn't bring the scissors. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. But apparently they hit it off and uh, end a story. And as he says, pop, pop, pop. pop. <laughs> a lot of pops. <laughs> That's one for each of us, I mean. Exactly. Man. We a groupie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as we, I guess, our, you know, as we, you know, put together the pieces of our history and what we know, and, and like, even as he was telling how Bowman I met, I was like, I guess I kind of knew, but maybe it just gets lost in all the information. That's why we're recording this podcast. Do you think knowing this history from Ong Bangoi, like really help you now with anything? Oh, yeah. I think just it's a key part of actually knowing your story. Um, for me, it was me being young, not not thinking it was important that I just wanted to be American and this pressure to conform and assimilate. Um, but the other key part of it, if I was willing and ready and able to accept all this information, then the version that of me that would come out after this would have been very different. I wouldn't have been that kid that said, I don't want to go to Vietnamese school anymore. My dad saying, okay, but still enrolling me in next year's Vietnamese school. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Does anyone else want to weigh in? Yeah, no, I'd agree with you. I think that if I knew all this history earlier as a kid, I'd be even more proud of being Vietnamese and like knowing that like my family went through this and this is who I am because of it. Like, hell yeah, I am Vietnamese. I think of it, your history is like this this little seed, right? And you can only, or seed of being prideful or being proud and it only grows. And that mm. your history is like the water that waters and allows it to germinate. Wow. <laughs> I was trying to be like Carmen right there. I don't know if that worked. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> let Hatton explain it. <laughs> if you want to add Hatton. Okay, okay, let me, let me, I'm gonna draw a picture. Just stick with me, all right? Yeah, I told you. Yeah. Um. So I always imagine like you have the la- waves lapping against you against the seashore, um. And then you stick a stick in the sand, and you hope it stays upright. You hope it stays afloat. But the thing is, the waves keep coming. They get stronger. They might not touch quite the stick, but assimilation will always keep coming for you. Um. And you're in a culture shock. This is that Americanness. Um, this is what we receive every single day. And at the end of the day, the stick can only stay there, remain there for as much ground that is it's set upon. And that is the ground of which your parents have brought over. Hey. Wow. <laughs> wow. I actually closed my eyes and just visualized the whole thing too. Yeah. I mean... I mean, I guess I have some questions, you know, like, why, why are we you know, only talking about the history now? I mean, I know we talk about here and there, but, you know, we ask our grandparents, we don't always get the full picture. I mean, I'm sure it's hard. Is it difficult? I mean, it's difficult to speak about. It's emotional. Um, but is it also because we don't ask, we don't often ask them? Mm. Um, maybe it's a combination of both. But, you know, as we do this, it's like we're setting that foundation like you said right like the the sand right yeah mm-hmm. I mean, we, need to, we need to get good good sand in there <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what kind of soils could you tell us miss soil scientists <laughs> well so, sand you need a oh sand is like straight up sand <laughs> <laughs> and with that we'll close <laughs> so i mean the, we'll close and lead us into the next episode where we talk more of the things that like those like things that come up come at us those those waves that hit us every day that don't want to that pushes against the sand and we have to know a little bit of who we are our history to be able to move forward so um so here's the groundwork for all the listeners and for all us together collectively sharing our history to set that foundation and and then let's start to explore a little bit more Hmm. Yeah. And we'll see you next time. No, and we'll cut there. We'll see you next time. (laughs) Thanks for listening to our podcast, Growing Up Nguyen. We'd love to hear what you think about our episode today. So please reach out to us through our website at www.growingupnguyen.com or follow us on Instagram at growing.up.nguyen. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. We're Hương, Han, Hyo, and Huang, and this is Growing Up Nguyen.